is our art in endurance. In this episode, I speak with Justin Simone, an athlete for La Sportiva Ultimate Direction, Honey Stinger, and Nowhere 380, who discusses how he uses his creativity and past experience as an artist, not only with paper, but also performance art, to influence his creativity in finding new routes and self-propelled adventures throughout Colorado. Justin has not driven a car in 15 years, yet has completed all of the 14ers in a record-setting time, cycling to each individual mountain. Justin not only spends his time recreating through the Colorado wilderness, but is also currently writing about his adventures in some new guidebooks. Now, let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Defining Endurance. This is host Lexi Miller, today joined by Justin Simone. He is also known as the Long Ranger on social media uh, and kind of an expert in the whole world of self-propelled adventure. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about what it means to make your own adventure and to use human power instead of a vehicle. Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. The pleasure is all mine. Well, I'm super excited to talk to you. You're one of my favorite people to follow on social media, seeing all of your even just daily adventures uh, up here in the Boulder County area. Uh, To start, how did you get started in the endurance world? Um, It's a great question. Uh, Part of it is I just grew up around runners. So some of my first memories are just in the morning at breakfast time, my father would come back from his daily run. Um, you know, I remember going to ultra races in the eighties and at that time, that means you went to a track for 24 hours, you ran around for six hours and then you switched, you know, uh, direction and ran around six more hours, did that two more, uh, twice. And, and that was your race. And some guy would just take, take a, um, count on how many times you went around the track. Um, I also had a sister who was a cross country, you know, phenom in college. Um, she had like a four Oh, um, GPA as well. So they just kept her on for five years instead of four. And she was also the first woman to be inducted in their sports hall of fame. So, I mean, she was the athlete of the family. <laughs> I was, I was the last of four. So I was the one that was trying to find their way, you know, looking at all these inspiring people. Um, and then when I was a kid, I just had a lot of energy and it, it was really easy for me to fall into, you know, wanting to do everything. So, um, you know, starting in grade school, I started, you know, riding bikes like you do. I started actually rock climbing with my local uh, town social services. And then, you know, when I was a teenager, I got really into skateboarding, actually. And I really loved the creativity of learning tricks and, you know, being a little rebellious at the time, it wasn't like something, you know, that was like Little League like it is now. It wasn't in the Olympics, let's say. It was more like what you weren't supposed to do and your parents were worried that you were going to fall into a gang or something. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I just loved it. It was just something creative that my friends and I did. Um, yeah, and I actually didn't really explore trail running in any big amount until like my, I, I was in my 30s. I was really late to going there, but um, I I also rediscovered um, cycling as an adult, um, kind of near where I got rid of my car, you know, 15 years ago. Um, yeah, and that's a whole story in itself. So, yeah, that's amazing. And I think I I also was raised by by the ultra runners of the 80s, where you know it was a whole different sport than oh, yeah. you know 
we talk about how hard it is to get into things like hard rock and Western state now. And back <laughs> then it was just kind of like, if you had a pulse, you were in that race. Um, sure. So it sounds like you were, you were kind of in the, your parents were in the beginnings of that too. Um, so tell, you know, you've had some really rad adventures. Uh, tell us some of the most memorable or the ones you might be known for. Um, sure. Uh, one of like the, one of the breakout adventures I've done is something I, I called the tour 14 er now, I live in Colorado, and one of the things you have to, I think, do to, to get your Colorado card is climb the 14ers, summit the 14ers, um, and they're, they're 58 mountains, they're over 14,000 feet, and um, it's a list, you know, and, and I guess people like me love lists, and I, I started doing them with my girlfriend at the time, and it was really fun, we went really slow, we're just normal people doing it, um, and I just, you know, like a lot of people, I got hooked, and I was like, I want to do them all. Um, but I didn't own a car and I was like, well, I'm not going to buy a car to do this. Um, is there a way I can do it without using a car? So I, you know, I, I was inspired enough to do my research and you can find little stories here and there throughout the years of people doing it, but it was like 12 people total for the entire, you know, span of history kind of thing. Um, the first time uh, anyone ever done it was around 1985. It was the Dunmeyer brothers, um, Pete, Peter and Glenn Dunmeyer, and they did it in like 90 days. And I was like, that is incredible. That is an adventure to just have like these, you know, mountain bikes from 1985 have no bait on what you're doing. Just make it happen. And Pete, Glenn, um, doing further research, they're amazing mountain athletes in their own, um, their own, uh, uh, their own way. And um, I, actually, I was like, when I was doing my research, I was actually on Bill Wright's website, his old website. I know he was a guest of yours. And he had an email he got from some guy who did it in 1997, sort of self-supported, you know, um, he did it in 37 days. And I was like, wow, that's a third of the time that Pete and Glenn did it. I'm like, okay, now this is interesting where, you know, I, I want to do it too, but I also want to be able to do it the fastest ever. And I'm like, 37 days sounds like a good time to hit. Like, I think I can do it under, but just barely. Because um, if you do the math, you're like, okay, that's like one, no, that's two, almost two 14ers a day, plus you're riding to the those trailheads. I'm like, all right, well, this is rad. <laughs> and um, sure enough, like I moved to Boulder. This really happened. I moved to Boulder. I found a place to live for about $250 a month. It was uh, a house's mudroom. It was big enough where I could span my arms to hit the, uh, the sides of the walls, all four corners, you know? And I just had like a camping pad in one sec, you know, one, one corner, books in the other and clothes in the other. And like, that was my life for, you know, eight months. And I just lived like a monk and just trained my, my little butt off to like be able to, you know, uh, do this project. And the project was to ride my bike to the trailheads, then some of the 14ers in less than uh, the 37 days. So it was an interesting eight months, you know. For sure. So, <laughs> and I I think like the other thing people maybe who don't live in Colorado need to understand, it's not like these mountains are all in the same place. Like, it's not like you're biking, like, you know, you have that one initial long ride and then you're, yeah. you're kind of just biking 10 miles in between. Like, they're in all corners of the state. There's different ranges. Mm -hmm. So explain a little bit of like the problem solving you had to do there, like the creativity of making sure. that work. 
Well, um, you know, while I was actually training to do this, so I, I found myself being a, a multi-sport athlete all of a sudden where I was going to the climbing gym, I was riding my bikes, and I was learning how to trail run, basically, because I'd need all three to, to do something like this. Um, when I wasn't doing that, and sometimes I worked, I'm not sure how that worked out, but sometimes it worked, but it was mostly um, a lot of planning where I'm like, okay, um, there's two types of routes I have to figure out. There's the the cycling route, right, to get to one trailhead to the other and then find where I can resupply food and things like that. And then there's like, okay, what's the route I can, you know, do my hike or my run up? So there was a lot of like just combing the internet, reading books, going to the library, you know, figuring how to put these things together. And what was really cool was like there wasn't much of a map to follow because like you know i the thing i read on bill wright's site was a one-page email he had gotten from this guy and the the what i knew from pete and glenn dunmire's trip from all the way in 1985 was like a, a page in a newspaper from the espen times you know like and it it's really inspiring and i because it's such a blank canvas you know i could make it any way i want um so i had a lot of experience with long distance cycling um, I've, by that time I crossed the country three times. So that was my strength for sure. But like doing all these link ups, these hikes, doing multiple mountains at once, like at that point, I have to admit I had done nine of the 58 14ers. So I was going in pretty blind of like what exactly I was going into. But, um, yeah, that's really exciting knowing that like, I'm going to come up with so many unknowns, right? And have to deal with it. Um, so yeah, like yeah. So like, say um, when you're planning the cycling route, um, you have to get to where you are, to where you're going. You have to, you know, pick a trailhead. You know, you can walk your bike up, find some food along the way, and you have to know where to camp for the night, basically. So those are your main things, and you have to do that every single time. And basically, that's what I did. And I would just piecemeal a map together. Going like say I start in Golden at the uh, the American Mountaineering Center, and the first peak is Pikes Peak, which is clearly a hundred miles away. So you know I I left at like four and five in the morning and like rode that hundred miles, and I would pick a route that was quiet, usually off road, not a lot of traffic, something I'd be I'd be um I'd be comfortable doing at night. You know, it wasn't as dangerous as you know being on a highway or something. And then pick a trailhead that I knew I could get up to the peak, get back kind of quickly, and then be in a great position to get to the next trailhead. So a lot of the trailheads I picked were not the standard routes, just because they were they worked better for doing these massive link-ups. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, <laughs> I, you know, there has to be so, like, just, like, again, looking at the map in my head, I'm trying to think, like, okay, you go from Pikes Peak, I'm guessing, down to the Sangres, but then you have to get over yep. to the San Juans. Yep. And it's, there's a lot of interstate travel along that way because they're they're mostly kind of near more rural towns in Colorado. So it's not like you're easily just hitting the, the Highway 36 bike path and no. cruising yeah. along. Like, there's a lot of creativity yep. there, a lot of, like, kind of ranch roads yep. and places that might not necessarily be safe to be cycling or camping. Um how how much sleep were you getting on an average night doing this? Oh my gosh! So that's a great question. Um, so before I had done something like the Tour 14, or I had some, I'd done the Tour Divide twice. And the Tour Divide is a self-powered, self-supported mountain bike race 
starts in um, Banff, Alberta, and ends on the Mexican-New Mexico border. So I, I was used to being self-supported, self-powered, going on these lonely, dusty gravel roads and just hitting up these very tiny towns to get resupply. So I was kind of used to, you know, how to like, you know, be in that mindset of like, okay, there's going to be these long stretches. Um, yeah. What was your question? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. So yeah. How much are you resting in between? Like, oh, are you okay, taking resting. days off? Yeah. Are you getting so, like full nights of sleep? Correct. Okay. So during like something like the tour divide, I would try to get minimum sleep. So like four hours max. And I was able to just keep chugging along. It took a little bit of time to get warmed up in the morning, like, like hours to feel like yourself again. And I was thinking, I'm like, okay, this, this trip that's like mine, but has basically the same rules, the same framework of how you, how you do a day-to-day activity is going to be the same. So I'm like, yeah, four hours is fine. (laughs) And it was nothing but like, it was nothing like that. Like, um, Say you're a triathlete and you do like a, you do a brick workout where you're like, okay, I'll run and then I'll, 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 I'll ride my bike. And that's called a brick workout. Cause your legs feel like bricks afterwards. That was me every day. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, my legs killed. They were so, they were so trashed every single day. Um, I thought honestly that like, okay, great. The cycling is going to be a perfect way to, um, re-energize the legs after like a really hard run but, but it it just did not work out that way um the route the cycling route is um for this thing is incredible like it, there's just every day is like a classic day but to me that means hills so you have to go up and over other mountain ranges to get to the mountains you want to oh my gosh it was it was it was a big challenge it was a super challenge physically for sure but i, mean, I- yeah no, I was just going to say, I can only imagine, like, that's, it's kind of like yeah. the, the most wild side of a triathlon. Oh, totally. But, like, uh, what, what you find out, like, you kind of get into a groove, you find out what the new normal is, and you, you figure out where your body is, is able to do it each day. And, like, you just, you just, you're just there. You're just in that gear. And it's usually, like, one gear, you know, kind of slow. <laughs> and so since then, you, you have done this with the top 100 peaks in Colorado as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I had so much fun. Like it's it really, it was like life-changing fun, you know, like it's the same kind of experience you get like hiking the AT or doing the Triple Crown or whatever your thing is. Um, I kind of wanted to do it again, um, but I I don't always like to repeat myself. Like um, I could have gone for a faster time because like you get out there and you're like, oh, I made all these mistakes and I know how to go faster and I know a better way and be more optimized and all this stuff. But I'm also like, I did it. <laughs> like I, I'm cool with it. I'm really happy with how it came out. So I'm like, oh, okay, what else can I do? I'm like, well, I'm like, there's another list in Colorado called the Centennials. And what that is, is the top 100 and actually 105 for strange reasons, um, highest peaks in Colorado. And I'm like, okay, I can do that instead. It's twice as many mountains, so it's going to take twice as much time, and you go to new areas and stuff. Uh, the cycling was actually pretty similar, the route, just because these these peaks, when they get larger, they kind of clump together. They're still all over the state, but they're kind of in the same general area. Um, but the hiking part the, the was much different. So um, instead of doing like long days, I had to link up multiple days on, on my feet and uh, do it that way to be efficient um, just because it, it takes so much time to ride to these individual trailheads 
and go up one mountain and then go like 20 miles to another one, go up the mountain down. It's much easier just to link the two mountains together, you know, when it's, when it's like five miles apart by foot. So I, I got into basically what's called fast packing, where you, you do backpacking very quickly. It's like the, the, the weird in between, you know, running, trail running and uh, backpacking. So I, I kind of learned how to do that. And I, I knew that was also like, I had some of the, like, some of those days where I'm like, this day will never be top. This is, this is it. I found it. I'm like, this is amazing flow state. Or like you do it, you do a multi-day thing on foot and you're just like, I can't believe that worked. Everything went to plan. That was incredible. I'm, I'm going to eat five hamburgers once I get to town because that's what I need right now. <laughs> Things like that. So, yeah. It's just- yeah. So when you're doing these like 40 to 60 day long adventures, um, you're constantly going, you're sleeping minimally. How do you prevent that burnout? Um, I think the big thing is, um, I, I want to be there. (laughs) I'm like having so much fun and like, look at the atmosphere I'm in. I'm in like one of the most beautiful parts of the country, you know? And like, if you're feeling down, like, you know, that sun comes up and like all of a sudden, like you are re-energized just from like this beautiful scene and mountains and the sun rising and birds chirping and like all the little things, you know, like it's, it's never a dull moment for sure. And that's enough to get me pretty, pretty psyched. I'm, I'm pretty good at um, self-motivation if I really want something. So, ah, I, yeah, no, I, it sounds like, like you just seem very enthusiastic <laughs> about this. Like this yeah. is truly like you're living the life you want to lead. Yeah, sure. Like that's incredible. And that usually keeps the enthusiasm sure. high. Sure. So kind of tell us a little bit about like the creativity and picking out a new project. How do you, you know, decide what's next? Oh, sure. So, I mean, my background, my, my school background is actually in art. Um, I hold a painting and drawing degree. <laughs> so I kind of, yeah, I, I approach all these projects as if it's an art project. Like I, I'm putting on a show. So I go, um, what am I inspired? What do I want to do? Um, how do I do it? Like what skills do I need? I do, what kind of fitness do I have to put up? Like I love drawing. So I love drawing on maps. <laughs> And I love looking at those elevation profiles and just imagining what the experience will be like. And that gets me so inspired that I, you know, it, you know, whatever I have to do for the training, it, it just seems so, so natural for sure. So like something like the Tor 14 or just to use it as an example, I mean, it's such a big project and I was going in so blind on what to do. Like some days were just hard to go to sleep because I'm like, I mean, what's this day going to be like? You know, I'm like really kind of, I'm a little nervous about going up this mountain, you know, all those little things. Like I just let myself feel that, you know, all that nervous energy. And then, you know, you just have to perform, you know, just like how you do if you're like putting on like a musical or a play or like I used to be in a performance art group, like on tour nationally, like what's that going to be like? It's the same energy, you know? And I, I, for, for some reason, I'm just really, comfortable and i'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing but it is a thing like being um by myself alone rather than doing something in a large group like a team so being you know being alone i'm just i'm i'm kind of in a happy space you know i I do need you know my uh my time just by myself so i that's where i get it you know Oh yeah, I imagine that is a lot of solitude. <laughs> Though it's probably also is a nice mix with the mountains because they are so incredibly popular in Colorado that yep. I'm sure as you're doing the 14ers, you're not really alone a ton. You're kind of running into people constantly and 
sure. can interact when you want. You you totally have some variety because um, sometimes I'm on that top of that mountain at a, a, a very bizarre time of day, like 2 a.m., and I, I will get a very popular 14er by myself. Like I did like Grays and Tories alone or like, but sometimes you hit like the most easy, you know, you'll hit Mount Sherman, which is one of the easiest 14ers on a Sunday afternoon. And you kind of go into, you're like, well, it's Sunday afternoon. Like I look forward to petting everyone's dogs. Like this is going to be great as well. Like you, you, you have to, you have to indulge yourself in what the experience is going to be like in front of you rather than trying to make the experience something it's not. So yeah, you know, you get to, you bump into people, you know, you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I'm on my thing. Yeah, this is the thing I talked about. You know, I'm doing it. And it's cool that, you know, just, just see people, you know, happenstance. Yeah, that's incredible. Sure. Um, so one thing I really liked from your website is you said that you put involvement, involvement over spectatorship. Uh, so, you know, kind of looking at, at your adventures instead of, you know, running big races. And I think especially during lockdown and the pandemic, more people had to go from racing, you know, signing for their ultras or marathons to doing creative things like you do. Can you talk a little bit about how you can feel that, that inspiration or that drive without a race? Oh, sure. Um, you know, like that idea of involvement over spectatorship is again, something that I, I borrowed from like the art world. Like that, that's like Burning Man's, you know, whole thing is like, you go to Burning Man, you're going to be Burning Man. Like it's, you're not sitting down watching people being, you know, weird and crazy. You are that person. Um, and when I was in like a performance group, um, we would go and play venues, but we would never be on the stage. We would be in the pit area with the people. So there was no boundary between performance and spectatorship. Like if you weren't dancing, we weren't doing our job right kind of thing. Um, yeah, so like I, what, what I can do at least like online rather than, you know, do a race or something is teach, you know, like be like, oh, hey, here's what, how I do the thing I do. Let me inspire you now. Like, here's the project I did. Um, here's the food I brought. Here's what I was thinking. Here are the hard parts. Here's where I slept. Just like a, a, a very, very, um, light framework. But what I'd like people to do then is make it their own, right? They, like, I don't like chasing people's times, really, but I get inspired by what people do. And usually I'll think of what they're doing as awesome, but I also want to do it my own way, um, whatever that means. And I want to have the, the license to do that and also have people be able to have that as well. You know, like take it, remix it, make your own, have fun. Like it, it, that's what's cool about any of these projects are like trips um, you know, like you can hike the AT or the CDT or whatever, and no one has the same trip, right? Everyone has their own experience. And that's what's cool about it. Um, again, that's like, again, something I like borrowed from, you know, just my time as an artist where you look at a painting or you go to a performance and everyone's having a different experience and whose experience is valid. They all are, you know, that's great. You know, that's freaking fantastic. So I really you know, held on to that idea. So yeah, like I'd rather what people get inspired and do their own thing. So like during like the lockdown, the pandemic, it was a lot, it, it just seemed a lot more um, uh, natural to be able like, okay, I'm going to have to do this thing by myself or on my own, or, you know, there's no races. So I'm going to have to look at a map myself and be like, where am I going to go? Like, what do I love to do? And what, what will allow me to do that? So yeah, 
So do you have a lot of people reaching out to you with advice on, on doing their own big adventures? Or do you feel as though, you know, it's it's still kind of not quite the mainstream? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, like the things I do are are a little bit on the, the tough side, the extreme side. Um, so I, I do like to hear when people are like, I'd love to do this. And like, I do a little bit of vetting. Um, but again, I, I do enjoy people just having the freedom to go for it because I've done that a million times too. So like, but um, I try to, you know, nudge them the right way. Um, but usually I'm like, you've got this. If I could do it, you can do it kind of thing. And I get really excited when, when people go for things. Um, last year, was it last year? Yeah, during kind of the pandemic kind of area, um, I did a trip. It was a, it was a three or four day fast pack along the ridge of the continental divide um, right outside my, my house in Boulder. So we're talking, it starts in Rocky Mountain National Park on Milner Pass and then goes all the way to Burthen Pass, which is kind of near I-70. Um, but it's the skyline. It's the skyline you see when you go up the local hill, Green Mountain. You're like, wow, what a beautiful view. Well, th- I mean, you look at that and I can't help but be like, well, I want to be on every single mountain that I can see. Um, in basically in a span of three days and you just have to go for it, you know? Well, what's funny is like, you know, I doing my research and talking to people like Buzz Burrell or Bill, Bill Briggs, the, the old, you know, the old people that, that started all this kind of stuff near, near me is like, no one had done it. <laughs> and it just seemed weird to me. Like why that's the most obvious thing. Why hasn't anyone done it? So I had to do it. Um, unbeknownst to me, you know, other people were like, oh, I want to do it too. And we just never talked to each other because, you know, we're on lockdown or whatever. And what was really funny was by the end of the year, by the end of last year, I had done it somehow as the first, I, it was just happenstance, of course. Like I, it's roll the dice. And then four other people had finished it <laughs> like that same year in the span of like a month or two. And it's just so crazy. Like, oh, okay, everyone was thinking of things to do, saw this ridgeline, were like, that would be a perfect idea. Let's go for it. And we all went for it, like, by ourselves. <laughs> I love that. That is super awesome. Yeah, no, I think that was, again, kind of just like with the pandemic, when racing went away, like, it was amazing to see people's creativity and kind of starting to plan these adventures. Sure. Um, so along with that, what what advice would you give to someone who is looking into this and whether it's about safety or how to how to plan out a route, I'd love to hear your advice for for the novice. Um, sure. Like when it comes to, I mean, there's a lot of things to cover because I do so many things. But um, for cycling, if you're really interested in long distance routes, like there are so many now that are kind of established. Um, I think one of my favorites is like the Great Divide Mountain Bike Race, where like you can buy a book to tell you what to do, or you can get a map set. You can get a GPX track. There's tons of communities online that'll help you. So you can have as big or small of an adventure you want. If you need your hand held for a little while, you can, or you can just go off and like onsite it. You know, no one's, no one's going to say no or yes to that, but you'll get the feel of what's going on. Like the riding is easy, but um, there's just a lot of it. <laughs> um, and also kind of closer to me in Colorado, we have the Colorado trail, which is something you can bike with, um, a variety of wilderness detours and the riding is much harder, but it's, you know, like you get a little bit more out of it at the end of the day. You just go, wow, that was an incredible climb or incredible downhill or, you know, the camping's more interesting, things like that. And just, you know, take it slow. Like I, I did so many like two or three day 
or overnight trips just on my own in Colorado. Like, I want to go over here. What's over there? Let's check it out. Um, and those really got me, um, got me set to do much more long distance things. Like there is kind of a saying, like if you can pack and ride for three solid days, you could probably pack and ride for three solid weeks. It's the same kit. You know, you're bringing the same stuff. You might bring one more battery pack or an extra light or something, but like, it's the same thing. Um, yeah. So like, um, kind of like a, when you go fast packing, it's the same thing where like, maybe you just want to do some backpacking, you know, for a little while until you can figure out how to pare down your kit. So it's something you can go, um, lightweight and long distance and a little quicker. Um, yeah. And like, again, like the things I do, like the tour 14 or the, the, the tour of the highest hundred, I'm just combining the two, right? It's when it comes to gear I need, it's very, it's a huge overlap. Where like when I'm riding to a mountain to to hike it, like I need I need a pair of running shoes, right? Extra and a pair of running shorts, perhaps, and like that's it. That's the ex the only extra gear. So it's not like I'm hauling a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but it got it took a long time to get to that point, you know. And let's see, when it comes to safety, like I'm not sure I'm like the greatest person to ask because I've made all the wrong decisions that you're not supposed to make. Um, and I, there's this great book I can't stop talking about. I've read it so many times. It's called, uh, Lawrence Gonzalez's, uh, Deep Survival. And, um, you pick it up used. It's at every single library, I'm sure. But he postulates, his theory is that, um, grave, you know, accidents in the backcountry happen because of a series of cascading bad decisions. So, for example, um, you go out and you don't really tell anyone what you're doing. <laughs> That's a big one. Um, you get to the trailhead and you realize you forgot a, a clutch piece of gear, but you're like, well, that, I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. Like you forget a headlamp, but you're like, oh, it's, it's not, I'm not going to be out there after, after dark. It's fine. And then you get lost because <laughs> you also forgot a map or you you're at the wrong trailhead and then it becomes night, right? Now you're on a mountain at night, no headlamp and you're lost. You're probably going to freeze <laughs> and like, oh yeah, I didn't bring those clothes because I wasn't going to be out this long. And boom, you have now fallen into a trap of your own of your own making. Now, I read this book right before I just experienced that exact same thing where like I didn't tell anyone, weather moved in, my stuff broke, like I was hungry because the stove didn't light, you know, again, again, cascading, cascading problems. And I didn't see it because I was young and dumb and I could I was resilient as well. I could bounce right back, but um I read that book and I saw myself in this guy's stories and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I really have to re rethink and reevaluate how I, I, um, I plan these things and, and what I do and maybe get more fitness or skills and take up, you know, that's why I took up rock climbing again where I'm like, I don't want to be in the mountains or in anywhere where I get clipped out and then I make a bad decision because I don't know what I'm doing. So, yeah, I mean, these are all things that can help you, you know, fitness, um, experience, uh, doing technical things, um, knowing how to do navigation, learning how to use your phone as a navigation device, things like that. So they're all things that work for you. And then getting, you know, once you can afford it, if you're, if you're young and it's hard to like clobber this stuff together, like investing in really good, really warm gear for sure. Oh, yeah. No, I think especially places like Colorado or I mean, anywhere in the US really weather can blow in like crazy. Yeah. And it 
it can change in an instant. Uh, so before I let you go, I want to hear, is there any upcoming projects you're working on? Oh, I have a million. Um, right now, <laughs> uh, I've been tapped to write a book. I'm writing a guidebook on the Centennials. And it's just the hiking part. So don't worry. <laughs> Good. I won't have to follow the, the biking directions. Right. right. <laughs> um, it's a book for normal people, not not me, if that makes sense. Um, and I'm really excited to do that. It's been really fun to get out there. And um, I'm, you know, right. I have an art, art degree. So it's really been fun to work on my landscape photography. And that means a lot of early night, early, early morning wake up calls to get that perfect um, alpenglow, you know, uh, light in the middle, in the, in the early mornings. I've been enjoying that. Um, I do have, I am working on a guidebook on how to bike pack to the 14ers. And again, it's for normal people. It's not for me, you know. Um, so there is a, a complete guide on how to do it for the front range 14ers, which I think is an excellent introduction to how to do it. Um, and the guidebook is just the ride. Um, and it, the, the riding and the route is so good that if you don't even hike one of the 14 years, you'll still have a good time doing the route, I think, personally. Um, ah, what else? Uh, right now, I'm saying I'm not, but I probably am. Um, I, I know when you talked to Bill, he was talking about the Longs Peak Project. Mm -hmm. And the Longs Peak Project is you summit Longs Peak. It's a 14er in Rocky Mountain National Park. Every month of the every month of the year in a row, so twelve times in a row, by a different route, and of course, being me, I've been inspired by Bill Wright has been a huge inspiration. He has a, such a weird, silly website that's full of outdated information, but I've gotten so much. I've tapped that website so much for my inspiration. Um, the my little my little way of making it my own is it's now the self powered long speed project. So instead of starting at the trailhead in Rocky Mountain, my my challenges start in Boulder, do the four hour ride on bike to the trailhead, do my 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 route, and then ride, you know, the three hours back home. And it's proven to be impossible. <laughs> First off, like I'm not sure if like you've ever thought about like how cold it is at nine thousand feet in January on a bicycle at three. That's in the what I was gonna say, is like are your hands just frozen when you get up like they, they awesome. used to be. I've now I now use um uh over mitts basically. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um pogies basically. Mm -hmm. And it's much better, but it's still like I have a beard and like the you know condensation accumulates and I come back to the trailhead with like ice beard. It's just ridiculous. Um plus it's a long day. Like I'll be on the mountain for twelve plus hours, plus there's the seven hours of cycling if I'm lucky. So we're talking like nineteen, twenty hour days. Um, and like Bill Wright, he's like, you know, he was talking about how he only had the weekends available for his. I tried it last year. It was like my third try time trying. Like I had, I had basically Sundays each month to do it because I worked at night. So I couldn't do it on Saturday because I had to sleep sometime. So I had one, I had four Sundays a month to try. <laughs> I got like three or four months, but man, it's tough. It's tough. There's so many things that can go wrong and like, Again, there's the safety margins not so great, and I love living, so I, I there's just not 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 many risk I'm willing to take. You know, everything just has to be absolutely perfect. So maybe I'll try this year. I've got two months in a row. It's not really that far along, but like, man, once you get like three or four, it feels like you're on a roll. You're like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> I'm sure it's just making it through the winter. Like once you get through those tough oh, months, yeah. like you know it's in the bank, but. Again, Those are tough months. Yeah. Again, like I try to do research. I'm like, well, I know a few people have ridden their bike to Longs Peak to climb it. I'm like, 
like Bill Wright is one, <laughs> like Stefan, like Stefan Grable, like another hard man here has done it too. But there's not a lot of people. I think Bill Griggs is one of the people who first did it. But I'm like, who has done it in the wintertime? And I could find nothing. So of course, like I, I think I did it the first, but like I've had people who are like, that's, you know, Justin's doing some weird stuff. Let me try to, and they'll try in the winter and they're like, yep, one and done. That was good. I'm done. You know, that's, I'm fine. We're good. We'll never do that again. That was type three plus. And of course I've done it like 11 times myself in the winter. So I, I must, I must have like a, a very strange um, circuitry in my brain. Kind of like how, you know, like they say, Alex Hanold has interesting circuitry where he doesn't feel fear the same way. I just might not feel low levels of pain the same way. It must must be nice for me. Yeah. Yeah. High stoke to pain ratio. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I just have the mantra, you know, it's like, well, it beats work. <laughs> That is, I think that's always true. It's like on the worst day, you're like, I could be, I could be working like this is much better. So I so appreciate your time. You are such an enthusiastic, fun person. Uh, It's been so fun to hear about your adventures. Um, In our show notes, I will link to your social media and your website. I think it's a great place to kind of get some inspiration. If you're feeling like you need some, some outdoor excitement in your life, Um, seeing your projects is amazing. Anything else before I let you go on how people can find you? Uh, yeah, I mean, just look for my name, Justin Simone, or look for Long Ranger. That's L-O-N-G. It's a little play on words. Um, yeah, it, you'll, you'll find me. I'm all over the place, you know. <laughs> awesome. It sounds like you could probably also just, you know, park your car outside of Long's Peak on, on a Sunday and probably see that it, spiking yeah. your way up up the road. Yeah, if uh, if, yeah, if there's blinky lights and it's three in the morning, I'm somewhere near Long's Peak, it's me. It's definitely me. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, We really appreciate your time. Hey, thanks so much. I really appreciate it as well. Hey guys, Coach Andrew Simmons here. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Defining Endurance, the podcast from Lifelong Endurance. Do you want more information and content between shows? Follow us on Instagram at lifelong underscore endurance, as well as on Facebook. You can also check out our YouTube page for more running and strength training tips. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.